This is episode 137 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing the 2015 Annual Enrichment Conference, The Glory of Community with Bruce Ware. This is session three, New Allegiance to Christ. Through significant portions of their lives, and yet they stayed true to you to the end. And we see a line of faith through the history of the church. And here we are in 2015, and we look back and marvel at the work of your spirit in the lives of men and women who have stood up for Christ. Many of them this day uh, risking life and relationships, risking property and home because of their faith in Christ. And uh, what marks all of these people, and I pray it will mark us, is that they were followers of Christ. They longed to be faithful to him to the end. So Lord, we pray that as we open your word tonight and look at its teaching in regard to the allegiance that we owe to Jesus, and that word owe is correct. We owe it to him. We pray that you would move our hearts to long individually and collectively as the body of Christ, as those who are his people, to long to live our lives day by day in faithful obedience, faithful following, joyful following of our Savior Jesus. Do this work in us and grant us your Spirit's presence to work in our minds and hearts right now we pray these things in the name of Christ, our risen and exalted Savior and Lord. Amen. Well, what a joy to be with you again this evening and to look now at part three of our study together on the community of Christ's followers as the new people of God, the people of God who have been called Christians, followers of Christ. Do you know the story about Martin Luther? Toward the end of his life, he was very ill. Of course, a lot of that was self-inflicted, although he didn't know it at the time. But the food that he ate wasn't good for his uh, digestive system, let's say. He was in a lot of pain and close to, close to death. And some of his friends, in, uh, in an attempt to encourage him, came to him and said, Dr. Luther, are you aware of the fact that some of your followers are now calling themselves Lutherans? And instead of receiving a smile from him, he gave them a scowl, and he said, and what is wrong with the name Christian? Please go tell those people that I am a beggar who has told other beggars where to find bread. It is just a beautiful story, isn't it? That this man in the maturity of his life recognized, he owes everything to, to this one who has given him all that he has. And indeed, it is only because of his faithful following that he has anything in life at all to offer to anybody else. I'm a beggar who has told other beggars where to find bread. Well, this evening we're looking at our new allegiance to Christ. We've, look at, we've looked at our new identity in Christ, our new union with Christ, and now third, our new allegiance to Christ. The introduction reads as follows. The Bible offers 
some images of the Christian life that are particularly helpful because of their simplicity. The point is sharp and clear, and the application to the Christian life is immediately apparent, even if it is not immediately easy to live out. One of those clarifying teachings comes from the lips of Jesus when he declares, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Indeed, from John 10, 27, Jesus leads, we follow. He commands, we obey. He speaks, we hear and heed. This is the Christian life. It's simple and yet so difficult to live out consistently. So we want to look this evening at what it means for us to be the sheep of the sheepfold, the flock of Christ, whose shepherd we are to follow wherever he leads. And so you realize that right away this image, as so many others in the New Testament that speak of who we are as Christian people, is an image that conveys both who we are individually before God. Each one of us is a sheep who, are, who is to follow the voice of the master. But we together constitute the sheep, the, the flock, the sheepfold of those who are to follow Christ. And so it has both the individual and community overtones as we look at this teaching of Jesus in the scriptures. Well, let's take a look at these individual and community elements <coughs> of what it means to follow Christ as our shepherd. And of course, one just has to give a moment's thought to this to realize there is a rich Old Testament background to the notion of the people of God as the flock who is to follow the shepherd. And the most beautiful statement of this from the Old Testament is Psalm 23, where the individual element is prominent. In fact, I'm going to read Psalm 23 to you from, from your own page. You can follow along here and just highlight for you, read it in a way that I hope you can feel the weight and experience the wonder of, of the fact that this is your passage, that this, this speaks to you personally about what it means to be a sheep of this shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and steadfast love, the New American Standard, loving kindness is not the best translation of chesed. Better would be steadfast love, loyal love. Surely goodness and steadfast love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
I mean, isn't it just precious to realize this is true for every one of us who has named the name of Christ as our Savior and Lord. He is our shepherd. I mean, no doubt Psalm 23 is anticipating the role of Jesus in particular, who is the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the ultimate shepherd of the sheep. So while God has always been to his people, this, this includes Old Testament Israel, the shepherd of his people, in a very real sense for us, this is fulfilled in greater measure in Christ, who is the shepherd of his sheep. And that's each one of us is a sheep that is cared for by him, loved by him, provided for by him, protected by him, taken through the valley of the shadow of death, but we fear no evil, for he is with each one of us. Oh my goodness, I mean, as much as we, we are wanting to celebrate community, and we will do that, Let's not lose sight of the precious individual nature of this truth to every one of us who is a sheep of this shepherd. What a joyous thing it is to reflect upon his faithfulness, as Nate reminded us, his constancy, his unfailing protection and provision for his people for his sheep, never failing to provide what they need when they need it. So indeed, goodness and faithful love will follow us all the days of our life, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because of his faithful leading of us. All right, when we take that theme of Christ as the good shepherd, at least Psalm 23, anticipating that, and come to the New Testament, we realize this clearly is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And one of the best passages that speaks of this is John chapter 10. And we're not going to read all of the chapter, but a, a bit of it here so we can get a feel for what Jesus says. So John 10, verses 11 to 16, and then verses 26 and 27. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I, on the other hand, am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So here we have this instruction from Jesus, this depiction of what it means to be his followers, what it means to belong to him, is that we hear his voice and we follow him. The image here, <coughs> excuse me, is of sheep together, not just one sheep or another 
scattered around in different places, but rather the sheep gathered together as they are all where the shepherd has led them. The shepherd has guided them to a place of green pasture, a place with water to drink. And so the sheep are together as the sheep of the shepherd. He's the one who protects them from the harm that might come. The good shepherd feeds his sheep together. He knows the sheep individually, of course, but he also knows them together as his sheep. There is no such thing, uh, when you think about the image that's conveyed here, of sheep following the voice of the shepherd who is not part of the sheepfold, all of whom hear his voice and they follow him. You know, I had an experience in the one time I've been to Israel. I went to Israel when I was a student at Western Seminary. So this was in another millennium, quite literally. This is a long time ago. <laughs> but I, I was uh, in my first year at Western, and they offered a summer trip to Israel. Ron Allen, some of you know Dr. Allen, uh, who left Western and went to Dallas, but he was teaching at Western at that time. And, and he led that trip to Israel for the summer. And one experience I will never forget. I mean, it is etched in my memory as vividly as the day this happened. Uh, it was a very hot day. We had taken a tour. We were in Jerusalem for this part of our time in Israel. Uh, stayed in the old city in a hostel there. It was re really a wonderful place to be. And we were taking these bus trips out for the day to, to see different parts of the southern portion of Israel. Well, there was one day where it was a typical summer day in Israel, at least 105 degrees, just blazing heat. And uh, so at noontime, we pulled over to a shady spot on the hillside, uh, pulled the bus over where we all got out of the bus and sat down on the ground under shade of some trees there to eat our lunch. And I noticed when I sat down and was eating the sandwich that I had there that down in the valley below, it was very obvious that there were, oh goodness, at least 100 plus sheep that were down in the valley just below us. And it was interesting because there were clearly two different flocks of sheep that were together. And you could tell this because there was a, a number of the sheep had greenish splotches on, on the wool on the nap of their necks, and others had reddish splotches, so the dye had been used to identify them. So you had the green ones and the red ones, and they're all intermixed. Well, so I just watched the sheep, and they were eating, and you know, just being sheep. Uh, it was interesting to, to watch that. But then, I didn't know until I heard this, that there were also two shepherds down there uh, that were among the sheep. They were sitting on a rock down at the very base of the hill, uh, and they evidently had been conversing together. And, uh, and I didn't see them until I heard them both as they got up. They both made a sound that sounded to me very similar. You know, the sound sounded about the same from each of them. But they both got up, made the sound, and walked in opposite directions. And guess what happened next? All of these greenish and reddish sheep, they were all intermixed. All of a sudden, all the greenish splotched sheep separated out and followed the shepherd. And all of the reddish, one, reddish ones separated out and followed that shepherd. And I just sat there on this hillside amazed. I was watching John 10 lived out before my eyes. My sheep hear my voice. They know me, and I know them, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. They will follow me. Now, I'll come back to this point later, but oh, how important it is then 
for us to help our people know what it means to hear the voice of the shepherd. So the sheep can hear the voice they are to follow and know the other voices they are not to follow. There are many other voices out there that are voices of pretender shepherds, right? Uh, Pseudo-shepherds who want to call the sheep and have them follow them. And these are the voices of strangers that the sheep ought not follow. So our people need to know what the voice of the shepherd is that we will follow his voice alone. So it's a simple image, but living it out is one of the greatest challenges of life is to wake up every morning and to remind ourselves every day. You know what? Of all the things in life that there are to do, this clarifies things. There is one thing I need to remember every morning when I wake up, and that is I am a sheep in a sheepfold whose responsibility it is this day to hear the voice of the shepherd and follow him. And that's it. I mean, we do that day by day by day and come to the end of the life, end of our lives, and we have lived life as God has called us to. We fail to do that, and we fail to live life as God has called us to. We've gone off after other stranger shepherds, strangers whose voices we have followed instead. So may, may we just take to heart the simplicity, but the necessity of knowing the voice of the shepherd and following him. <coughs> uh, just one more uh, point of application from this passage before we move on in the outline. Verse 16 has a special significance. Uh, William Carey, some of you know this story, William Carey, uh, who went out as he's considered the father of modern missions and went out to India uh, as a missionary. Uh, and of course, it, this was at a time when there were a lot of hyper-Calvinists uh, who would say things like, it is not our role to call people to put their faith in Christ. This is the job of God to save people. And so, you know, you, you shouldn't proclaim the gospel. So, so uh, Andrew Fuller, for example, wrote, wrote a tract defending the proclamation of the gospel as a Calvinist. And, and William Carey uh, demonstrated this in his own role as a missionary to go out and proclaim the gospel as a Calvinistic missionary. Well, at, well William Carey was got it, getting a lot of, of negative feedback from people who didn't think he should go out as a missionary. And one of the verses that the Lord used to... Uh, convict his heart and convince him that missions was appropriate and necessary was John 10, 16. Look at it again. John 10, 16, where Jesus says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. So Carey thought about this verse. He meditated upon it. And that, fir that first phrase, I have other sheep. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means there are other sheep out there that have been given to the Son. They are his, but they haven't come yet. These are the elect out there in the nations of the world. These are those whom the Father has given to the Son, but they haven't come to him yet. 
This is the elect that are out there to be saved. I have other sheep, but they're not of this fold. But then how do they become part of the fold? They must hear my voice, and then they will follow me. And it dawned on William Carey in that moment what that means, that they will hear his voice. How will they, the elect, whom God has chosen, the Father has chosen, and when they hear the voice of the shepherd, they'll come, how will they hear the voice of the shepherd? Answer, through the voice of those who speak on behalf of the shepherd. Your voice my voice, William Carey's voice, as the gospel is proclaimed, guess what they hear? The voice of Jesus calling them to come and become part of the flock that they may be one flock with one shepherd. So indeed, this, this is the role of sheep in, in the initial coming to him. As, as, they, as they hear the voice of the shepherd and come, and this is the role of sheep every day of their lives. There's no exception to this. You know, it's not the case that sheep grow up, you know, and then they can go off and live independently, right? And, and fig figure out how to live life on their own and kind of, you know, leave home and, and, and do it, do it on, the, on their own. Uh-uh, this doesn't happen with sheep. Every day, it's the same thing. They trust the shepherd, to guide and direct them, to protect them, to, to, to lead them to the pathway of, of food to eat and drink and water and, and, and to sustain and, and watch over them. So indeed, th this, this is as simple as it gets and yet as profoundly uh, difficult to live out consistently. Hear the voice of the shepherd and follow him. That's what we're called to do day by day. We're called to do that as individual sheep, and we are called to do that as a flock, as we together follow the voice of the shepherd. You know, if I can just think, think for one moment with you in terms of an application for uh, elders, pastors, uh, staff members in a church, that their goal needs to be, we'll talk more about this in a moment, their goal needs to be what all of the goal of all the sheep is, and that's to hear the voice of the shepherd. So even if you have a prominent leader or elders who have a vision for what needs to be done in the church and how, how we can move forward, boy, how important it is that those leaders, those elders, th those pastors have heard the voice of the shepherd so that the people are following the shepherd, not those elders per se. It's just because we are called ultimately to obey Christ in everything. So I, I remember the years that I was chairman of our elder board at Clifton Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, most times when the elders met, I, I don't think this happened necessarily every time, but most times when I opened us up in prayer, I would pray something like this. I would say, in Heavenly Father, our deepest desire as elders of this church is to follow the leadership of Jesus. It is his church, not ours. It is his vision we long to know, to embrace, and to carry out. It is his word we want to be faithful to adhere to. 
It, it is his leadership of us that we wish to, uh, to, to, to embrace among ourselves as elders and, and be used by you to en enjoin the rest of the church to follow in this manner. So to keep consciously in mind regularly, we are called, all of us are called, elders are called, all of us are called to hear the voice of the shepherd and to follow him. Okay, moving ahead. <coughs> Small letter B, <clears throat> real problems come for sheep when one separates from the others. When a sheep, when is a sheep in its greatest danger? When does it risk loss of necessary water or food or protection? When is it most vulnerable to predators or to thieves? Ah, we know the answer to that, right? When it goes it on its own, when, when it separates from the rest of the flock, that's when a sheep is in the greatest risk of danger. And so we have this marvelous other statement from Jesus. Is, isn't it just a precious teaching that he goes after that sheep to bring it back to the fold, bring it back to the place where there is protection and provision by him. So Luke 15, verses 3 to 7, reads as follows. So Jesus told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now I think the application there is these 99 is likely a reference to Israel who considers themselves to be the sheep of the shepherd. They're, they're Yahweh, the God of Israel, but they are not really. But this one has come in. But nonetheless, the parable also illustrates for us the importance of being part of the flock and not being separated from the flock. I mean, it's just, I mean, parents know this with wayward children. Oh my, we have some families in our own church in Louisville that Jody and I pray for regularly. They're, they're parents of about our age who have adult children who have turned away from the Lord in decisive ways. And oh, the burden on those parents' hearts for their children. You just, you see it lived out, the folly, the danger of separating yourself out from the people of God. And, and you know, every now and then you meet a Christian who says, well, I worship God out in, out in nature, you know? I, I go out into the woods and, and uh, I, you know, out to a lake or out to the beach or whatever, and that, that's where I worship God. Well, of course, that's a wonderful place to worship God, but it doesn't take the place of gathering together with the people of God, to be with the sheep, to be together as the shepherd leads the sheep together. There is no substitute for that. And, and, and a sheep that wants to go off on its own will only find that they are vulnerable to the, the dangers that they will face. And who is there to help them? Who is there to warn them? Who, who is there to correct their ways? They, they put themselves in a place of peril when they do so. 
So indeed, no wonder Hebrews enjoins us to, to gather together, you know, to, to seek the company of believers until the day of Christ comes that we may strengthen one another in the faith. A small letter C, another community element involved in the shepherd-sheep metaphor is the amazing truth that elders of a local church are called shepherds of their flock, their sheep. I mean, isn't that an amazing thing? When you realize that Yahweh is the shepherd of Israel and Jesus is the good shepherd, John 10, the great shepherd of his sheep, Hebrews 13, 20, and the chief shepherd, 1 Peter 5, 4, of his church, how amazing it is that elders are called shepherds who pastor their flocks as under-shepherds of the chief shepherd. I, you know, we, we, I don't think we put enough weight on the fact that, we, that, that those who are called to lead and teach in a church are given the name pastor, shepherd. The, these ones who are to carry out in, in a way under the, the, the absolute role of the shepherd of all of the sheep, Jesus, to carry out under him the, the role of under shepherd, to care for those sheep, to feed those sheep, to protect those sheep, to, to direct those sheep in the way that is best for them to thrive and flourish. <coughs> so indeed, uh, pastors, elders in a church are then these under shepherds, under the chief shepherd. First Peter 5, of course, highlights this particular role of elders as under shepherds. Peter writes, therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So notice two things with me here. First of all, while certain sheep may require special care, of course we always know this is the case. Uh, if, if you've been involved as an elder or a pastor in a church for any length of time, you know there are always specific people that have special needs that need to be dealt with. Nonetheless, the shepherd's overarching concern is the welfare of the flock, the whole of the flock. And I think some, sometimes some pastors can be fooled. You know, it's, it's kind of like the tyranny, of the tyranny of the urgent problem, can be fooled by the pressing needs of so many individual people that their feeding of the flock, their direction for the flock, their prayer for the flock, their oversight of the whole of the sheep suffers because of the time and attention that is devoted to just a few. And of course, this is, these are difficult calls to make, aren't they? But all I'm saying is we, we dare not err on the side 
of getting sidetracked with too many individual problems and miss the calling to be shepherds of the entire flock, the, the welfare of the whole. Second observation, Peter's primary concern in this passage in 1 Peter 5 is that these under-shepherds understand why they have been given authority over the flock, not for personal power or prestige, but for loving yet firm care of the flock. So again, it's like every, every other uh, um, expression of authority that God has invested in particular people, whether it's government, uh, whether it's a husband over his wife and, or a father over his children, <coughs> any sphere of authority can be abused. And pastoral abuse is abuse, it is sinful. And, and it's, uh, it's especially damaging. I, I just, I cannot help but think on the day of judgment, there will be specially strong rebuke from the Lord to pastors who are to uphold Christ and his example and, and, and yet have performed their duties in a way that is self-serving self-serving, and is in some ways abusive of those under their charge. How utterly wrong that is and how out, out of character with the leadership of Christ himself, even out of character with Peter. I mean, isn't it interesting? Look again at the beginning of, of 1 Peter 5, he says, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. Notice what he doesn't say there. As an apostle. In fact, as Peter the apostle. I mean, he doesn't play the trump card. You know, the, the apostle trump card. He, 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 you know, the, the humility of Peter here is remarkable. What, what, he's, what he's, he's labeling himself as one of them as your fellow elder, which of course he is, but he's also Peter the Apostle. <laughs> you know, that's a big deal. Upon you I will build my church. You know, he's not quoting Matthew 18 to them, and, and uh, or Matthew 16, sorry. Uh, so the, the humility that you see in Peter in the way that he even talks of himself here, the humility of Christ in coming not to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many, these are the illustrations for us of how under-shepherds are to care for their sheep. Now, another caveat here, don't translate servant leadership into service without leadership. I think that happens sometimes. In other words, servant leadership is described or conceived in such a way that leadership basically drops out. And that's a huge mistake. So, so rather than using your authority in self-serving, abusive ways, use your authority. Use it in ways that will be beneficial. And I mean, devise ways in which those under your charge can, can be benefited from the, from the decisions you make, from the direction that you cast, from, from the ways in which you conduct yourself. They benefit as as you as there are put in place different kinds of things in the in the church and in relationships with one another that by your authority or the authority of the elders has been conceived of to be of benefit and then the building up of the people of God so you don't abdicate authority 
You use authority, but you use it in ways that benefit uh, the, the, the good and the well-being of others. So indeed, uh, under shepherds then have responsibility for the flock, for the whole of the people of God, and to care for them, provide for them, to enrich them in the ways in which they conduct them, conduct their leadership over them. Roman numeral three, the church as a community of followers, followers of Christ in their individual and corporate allegiance to Christ. <coughs> and here just some concluding thoughts of application. Let me come back to that notion of knowing the voice of the shepherd. John 10 verses four and five, the sheep follow their shepherd because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, I sat there at home for quite some time meditating on this passage and thinking, what does it mean to know the voice of Jesus so that we know his voice and follow him and the voice of strangers we don't know. And you know what came to my mind in, in, in hearing what this is, is the teaching of Jesus himself that he had more to teach to the disciples. Do you remember this in John 16? I have more to teach you, but you're not ready for it yet. This is in John, John 16 verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will take of mind and disclose it to you. He will glorify me. So here's Jesus indicating that those disciples of his would be the recipients after his death and resurrection, the recipients of further revelation he would give to them that they then would have charge to give to the church. Hence. The, the rise of the apostles, the, the, the gift of apostles to the early church was the means by which the revelation of Jesus Christ continued and was fully manifest. Now by fully, what I mean by that is all that Jesus eventually intended his people to know. <clears throat> so through the apostolic witness, through, through the, the Gospels, through, through the epistles of the New Testament, we have the voice of Jesus. Uh, we, we, we don't have it in some other place. We, we don't, this is not some ethereal message, you know, that we're to hear some voice out there uh, that is inaudible or something like that. It's not a mystical idea. We hear the voice of Jesus as we hear his voice through his spirit inspired, spirit-empowered messengers. And then, on top of that, think of Jesus' statement in Luke 24, where he taught them concerning himself from the law and the prophets and the writings. That's the three-part division of the Old Testament scriptures. That's the whole Old Testament. And so, then you realize Everything in the Old Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit, had as its central figure Jesus, who, which then was written in such a way that it would point forward to its fulfillment in Jesus. So we see his own life and ministry recorded for us in the Gospels, and then the fullness of his teaching manifest to those disciples become apostles after his death and resurrection. So... 
Here is where you know the voice of Jesus. How well do you know the Bible? How, well, how, how much have you been saturated with its teaching? I don't know if you think of this book as the voice of Jesus to you, but it is. This is where you hear it. And, uh, and so how important it is for our people to know what this, what this book what this book teaches, what, what Jesus teaches concerning himself from all of these portions of the Bible, so that when we hear other voices, now I'm going to name a name or two here because they're in print. I, I think once they, put, once they publish something and their name is on it, it's fair game. Paul named names, right? Paul named names of those who opposed him. And so, you know, a Donald Miller, for example, who writes Blue Like Jazz, this is a, a call to a way of conceiving of the Christian life that is fundamentally contrary to the call of Christ. That's not to say that there aren't some good things in that book, Blue Like Jazz. It is to say that the fundamental message of that book is off target. How do I know that? I know the voice of the shepherd. And it sounds very different from Donald Miller. William Paul Young, uh, the, uh, the shack. I, you know, how many copies has that sold? And uh, there are many people out there who would say that, uh, you know, that, that book has meant as much to them as the Bible has. You know, it's just amazing, the testimonies of people. But I, I, I read that book carefully. And there are so many things in it that is, I mean, what, 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 uh, what uh, William Paul Young has done in that book is portray a vision of God as people in Portland, Oregon think he should be. It's a very good depiction of how the culture of Portland, Oregon would, would conceive of how God ought to be. But is this the God of the Bible? Are you kidding? It's not even close. Even though there are some elements in it that, that you, you would read and go, yeah, that, that's basically right. There are elements in it that are correct and true, but the overall picture that is there is so fundamentally contrary to, to the teaching of who God is in the Bible. I mean, the, the, the God of the shack is a God of love who would never do anything harsh or, or cruel or, or bring, bring any kind of wrath or anger upon anybody. I mean, but honestly, how long does it take you in your Bible reading for the year to come across the God of wrath? How long does it take? Genesis 6. You're not too far in it yet, right? And in here, here you read about God whose anger burns against the whole world because of the sin is so great, he sends a flood upon the whole world. You know, I, I remember reading, here's another name, uh, Brian McLaren. I don't know if you've read his book. I'm not recommending you do, I, but some of you may have read his book, A New Kind of Christianity, <coughs> in which... Um, he kind of presents a revised understanding of major doctrines of the faith. And honestly, that book is from beginning to end heresy. 
It is incredibly de dismissive of the orthodox understanding that we as evangelicals have of just about everything he talks about. Let me give you one, one sample. About halfway through the book, he opens a chapter talking about the God of the Old Testament. And this is how he talks about that God. He says, there is a figure in the Old Testament named God. You gotta love it, don't you? Or hate it, I should say. There is a figure in the Old Testament named God who brings a flood upon the whole world and kills everyone except Noah and his family. There's a, there's a figure in the Old Testament named God who brings fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And he gives a few other examples. And then he says this, but because we know that that figure named God is so unchristlike, he cannot be the true and living God. Well, here you have it, my friends. This is a contrary voice. This is a voice of not the shepherd, but another voice calling people to a politically correct view, to, to a view that feels good in our culture, but is not faithful to the revelation of God in the scriptures. So we must know the voice of our shepherd. And under shepherds must help their people be tuned, attuned to that voice so that when they hear these other voices, Rob Bell is another one, isn't he? You know, Jeremy, my nephew, was on staff with him for a while out in Grand Rapids, and, and God was merciful to help Jeremy see problems as they began to develop, and, and uh, so he pulled out of that. You know, but you just realize, boy, this is another one of these voices out there that's greatly appealing but it is a call away from, from uh, everything that the scriptures teach us about the atonement, about Christ, about sin and salvation, about the necessity of faith and all the rest, and, and heaven and hell and, you know, so many things that, that Rob Bell has, has spoken in a way that is clever and attractive and dead wrong. So... God help us, oh, how we need in this day to have knowledge of the voice of the shepherd so that we will stand firm against the pressures of a culture that is moving at rapid pace against the very things we hold dear. Because the pressure will be on to concede to compromise, to give in on, so, on a host of different things, and this will only increase. I mean, we all feel that, don't we? we? We sense that in a way today that we didn't 10 years ago, 15 years ago, but is increasingly that way. So back to the point here, we need to know the voice of the shepherd, and that voice, that shepherd's voice, is made known to us in the scriptures. Secondly, embrace the wisdom of the shepherd. Oh, how important it is to believe that where he leads us really is the pathway to life. To, to believe that he knows what truth really is. That he knows what goodness really is. That he knows where joy is to be found. That he actually is the one who is right. And if, and if we think differently, we're wrong about this. So we yield to him because he knows best. Now, we would all assent to that, I think, in this room, but do we really believe it day by day that in fact his ways 
despite anything that I would feel in my own heart, his ways are the ways of life, the ways of joy and blessing, the ways of goodness. And to believe any other uh, voice out there is a lie. It, it will not bring to you the, 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 the joy and satisfaction and fulfillment that your heart longs for. It will only come as we follow him. So as Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it a little bit. Oh, no. Oh, no. Abundantly, right? Obey my commandments that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. So the wisdom of this shepherd, don't ever doubt it. You begin to doubt the wisdom of the shepherd, you think you know better, and you, and you will find yourself a, to be a straying sheep who then becomes vulnerable to the predator and looking for your own source of food and water and so on. Embrace the wisdom of the shepherd. Third, trust the, the, the heart of the shepherd. Trust the heart of the shepherd. That not only does he know the best, but he really longs for your well-being. He is for you. I am convinced that any person, I mean, this includes Christian people, who don't have a deeply rooted confidence that their shepherd, Christ their shepherd, is for them, wants their best, they will be reluctant to follow him. Because, they, 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 because there is within us, God built within us a longing to find true satisfaction. And if we don't believe that the heart of our shepherd really wants our best, we will look elsewhere. But instead, to realize he wants our best. He longs to care for his sheep. Let me tell you just a quick story by way of illustration. When we lived in Portland, Oregon, when I was teaching at Western, I was a student at Western in the late 70s, and then I came back and taught at Western in the late 80s. And uh, we lived uh, close to campus at 50th and Salmon uh, in Portland, uh, at Western Seminary, just down the hill a bit. And uh, our daughter Rachel was about three years old at this time. Uh, she had learned to ride a tricycle. And we are on a corner lot that uh, one of the sidewalks was at a fairly, well, not steep, but a, a good grade angle. And then it leveled off when you turn the corner to level. And uh, I was, uh, on, on this particular Saturday afternoon, I was putting a, for, uh, uh, a, uh, uh, a porch railing up, uh, building this railing that's still there, by the way. I drove by it recently. <laughs> Quite proud of that. But anyway, because I'm, I'm, I'm not a woodsman, you know, or anything like that. But anyway, it's still there. Uh, <clears throat> so I was working on this porch railing, and I noticed out of the corner of my eye, <coughs> excuse me, Rachel was coming down that, that slope of the hill sidewalk uh, a little bit too fast. I mean, I could just tell that she wasn't going to make the corner. She knew not to go out in the street. She knew that. And so I knew she was going to turn, and I could just tell this is going to be a problem. Well, sure enough, as she turned the corner, she tipped over, skinned her knee, and uh, of course she ran down the sidewalk, and I got up from over where I was working and came and kind of met her, and she turned up the walkway to meet me. Now, at the very same moment, I noticed that my neighbor also was working on his front porch at the same time. And this thought occurred to me. What if Rachel, in this moment of her need, she skinned her knee, uh, she, she's crying and she wants to be comforted. What if Rachel, my daughter, 
instead of running down the sidewalk and turning up uh, the, the walkway up to my front porch, had gone on down one more house and turned up the walkway to my neighbor's front porch and ran into his arms instead. How would that make me feel? And of course the answer is that it would make me feel absolutely horrible. I, I mean, just, just miserable to think that my daughter would find greater comfort in him than she would find in me. Now my friends, we do that every time. We doubt our Savior's true love for us. We, when we doubt that and we think greater comfort can be found somewhere else, we mock the love that he has shown and what love this is to give his life a ransom for you and me. So let us embrace the love the Father has in sending the Son. Embrace the love of the Son who gave himself for us and realize he truly longs for our best. Don't doubt it. And finally, loyalty in allegiance to the shepherd. If there's one thing that is clear from this passage, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. The lordship of Christ parallels the shepherdhood of Christ, right? Christ as shepherd of the sheep and lord of the church are parallel concepts. And this requires of us the people of God, to recognize our allegiance is to him day by day. So among the first thoughts we need to have when we wake up in the morning is to remember we're sheep, part of a flock whose role it is this day and every day to be consistent in doing one thing over and over and over. Follow the voice of the shepherd. He is the one in charge. He has rightful jurisdiction over our lives, and we can trust him with everything that is of concern to our lives and, uh, and our families and ministries. Let us be a people who demonstrate day by day our allegiance to our shepherd. Father, thank you for the opportunity this evening to look at this glorious uh, teaching of Jesus as the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the one who always will be faithful to direct his sheep in the right place at the right time, to provide and care, to protect and guard. And Lord, please work in our hearts a renewed commitment to be faithful sheep, to follow him day by day, and to urge one another until the day of Christ comes to be faithful followers of Jesus. May we do this as a flock, as a community of like-minded believers encouraging one another to do the one thing every day all of us needs to do. May we hear the voice of our shepherd and follow him. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.